Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. So welcome, lovers of product. Today I am here with Shay Howe, who's the VP of Platform Strategy at ActiveCampaign. Shay, why don't you kick this off by giving us a little overview of your background? Yeah. Uh, well, Eric, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excited to join you. My background uh, is largely in design. Uh, that's where I started. That's been kind of the, the orientation of my love for a long time. But it's always been about design in the sense of how do you use design to solve a problem. And throughout my career, I've been in hyper-growth organizations. And in those, you do a little bit of design, you do a little bit of product management, you do a little bit of engineering, you know, all things oriented around how do you solve a problem. And that's exactly what I've done at Active Campaign. So originally started to lead the design team, but as we quickly grew and scaled, that ended up in leading the platform engineering team for about half a year until we hired our CTO, which then led to leading the marketing team for about two years until we hired a CMO and doing all that alongside leading design as well. So I've been in the, you know, the R&D side of Active Campaign. I've been in the go-to-market side of Active Campaign. And currently overseeing our platform strategy, I straddle both ends of that, where I oversee a team that does you know, all of our partner management and thinks about what is the platform and ecosystem by which we have integrations uh, and developers building on top of our tools, and where is all that heading, as well as still having the design end and influence there. So it's quite a breadth uh, that I dig into. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about that, like, you know, design product, you know, even some engineering what have you liked the most or maybe even what do you like about each one and don't like about each one? Ooh, likes and don't likes would be, uh, <laughs> we could go an hour on that alone. <laughs> um, I, I think like to get to it, right. The heart of it is around solving a problem. If you were to ask me like, what do I do at the end of the day? It's I want to build things. Right. Uh, and generally speaking, that's businesses and it's, the job that you have to do to do that, whatever that might be, right? I've always been influenced the same way. Like a lot of folks will be like, Shay, like what, what should I be learning? And I'm like, well, find a problem and let the problem dictate what you should learn, right? Whether that's a very specific programming language or uh, an application that helps you solve, you know, a given problem. It's always been around, what am I trying to achieve, right? And what do I got to go learn to do that? The design and engineering side, it's, you know, from the design end, it was, I think I have the right solution. I think I know what I'm designing is going to be what solves this problem. But I was always left wondering, like, is it? Like, I, I don't know. Until a customer actually starts using it, you never really know. And that, that Eric, led me more into the engineering side to say, hey, let me go and build this. Like, let me actually get this into the hands of customers to make sure, you know, my hypotheses at the beginning are true. Learning, I, I, was, I was often wrong. I was like, hey, like, maybe if I put all that time and energy into designing and developing it, I should spend more time figuring out what is the real problem and how are customers solving that today? When do they run into it? Is there even a market that makes that viable to solve, which kind of pushed me more into that product management space. So I love the, the right and left side brain, uh, both of those. Honestly, like I get excited about the balance of all of those. You know, even when I was hired at Active Campaign, talking to Jason, our founder and CEO, I was pretty clear. I was like, hey, if you want a design leader and someone to stay within that line, like I'm, I'm not your guy. I, I want to really stretch across the breadth of it and dig into the problems as they are. And, and that includes all the gray areas. 
that's what like honestly gets me excited. So talk to me about now VP of platform strategy. You know, what does that entail? What teams do you oversee? And what problems are you solving at Active Campaign? Yeah. So, you know, I kind of got into this role, as I was mentioning, from being on the R&D side and the go-to-market side. And to give you a little bit of context, I started at Active Campaign. We were about 100 employees. Today, we are well over 700. So a, a pretty significant growth in that last three years. And there would be things that pop up that no one really knew where they should go. We would launch an integration and build a partnership. And it's like, who should own that relationship? And they started just falling into my house, right? Of, hey, I think like Shay could be good at managing that relationship and ensuring like we're going both deep in the marketing capabilities of what we could do with that partner, as well as the integration and, you know, the product we put forward to our customers is strong. And that, that has continued to grow. So on the platform strategy side, it's overseeing the strategic and technology partnerships. And that includes a platform and ecosystem that supports them. That kind of splits itself up into a number of different teams. So we have a platform strategy and operations team who's thinking pretty deeply around how do we make our platform more extendable? You know, how is it growing? That includes a partner management team uh, that ensures that folks building on top of the platform are able to do so easily, that after they launch an integration, that they have the co-marketing tools and assets to help grow their organization. That goes into developer relations, right? So that we're actually fostering and growing the community around Active Campaign, And then all of design uh, on top of that as well, which is can be broken in between uh, product design, brand and marketing communications design, uh, as well as the design systems team. To, to peel back, like you, you asked, like, what's the goal? Like, what, what are some of the things we're solving or, or driving towards in there? For us, it's all about innovation in customer experience automation or CXA. So each team has, I'd say, slightly different goals and like layers within that. So I, I can kind of like walk through those if you're of interest of kind of where the platform strategy team's sitting as well as where design sitting. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of like hearing about organizational design. So please. Yeah, yeah. And then like our organizational design, I would say is probably not, it's not common, right? Like, I think I probably have a unique skill set that has afforded a little bit of that organizational design, but I'd say that's also true of active campaign of we're not one to just run a playbook. You know, we do look for to the opportunistic ways to, to structure an organization as well as the teams. But from the platform strategy side, it is, you know, how do we build those integrations and the relationships that support our strategic partners, right? So those are folks we would be building into and growing with. Um, Example of that would be Salesforce. We have the number one marketing automation integration inside the uh, Salesforce App Exchange. So that's an integration we're building, maintaining, as well as a relationship we're continuing to grow. The other side of that would be folks who come to Active Campaign. We have 130,000 plus paying customers. So a lot of businesses look at Active Campaign and say, hey, I can build an integration on top of Active Campaign to help grow my own customer base. And the platform strategy team wants to work with them deeply too. And we're thinking not only through the integration space and the partner management side, but also how do we make our platform, our tool more extendable by nature, right? What are the different areas and touch points by which they want to extend the channels we offer? Where do they want to start to extend uh, the levels of personalization we can dig into the interfaces of active campaign? So really providing them the tools to go do that. The design side of that is, is slightly different. You know, design is uh, broken up into a few different ways, but largely we're digging into how do we deliver intuitive and innovative solutions to our customers, right? How do we get incredibly close to them and understand, you know, what their problems are, what their needs are, and how do we deliver that to them? All the while, you know, how do we improve and stress upon our brand awareness? What are the distinctive brand assets we own? How do we deliver a consistent and accessible experience to, you know, all of our customers? So. It's a bit of a mix between those. 
Yeah, and it's interesting too because of your background, right? You've had exposure to design, engineering, product, and there's often friction between those departments. So talk to me a little bit about that, how you manage friction between those departments, both at your experience at Active Campaign and maybe other places, and how you make sure that kind of uh, all the voices are represented, right? Because it's great you have a design background because design is often a, a voice that is underrepresented in the product work. Yeah. So sorry, I threw a lot at you there, but no, I'm sure you no, can work good. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things about Active Campaign is like our CEO went to art school, right? Design's always had a really strong voice within the organization. Jason was the first designer, the first engineer, the first product manager, you know, of this company. So, you know, a lot of design leaders talk about like having to get that seat at the table. Very blessed and fortunate. Like I've always had it. I haven't really had to argue for that, right? The other side of it is we got to make sure design shows up, right? And carries the value that, you know, the organization sees in it. But that friction's an interesting one. Like it's healthy, right? Like it has to be channeled the right way. But there should be a little bit of tension there, right? Like those those different pillars, be it engineering, product, and design, are going to want to like dig into their areas, right? So I think there's there needs to be a healthy friction amongst those. As I lead those teams, as I talk to them and think about it, it's building a healthy culture more around the customer in that scenario and momentum of delivering to them. And that, that can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. But the tension's fine so long as we have momentum. That ensures that everyone's probably getting their, you know, their slice of the cake as we continually build and develop. And where I like to start with those teams is really distilling down the work into what is just the smallest possible project, to be honest with you. The, the one thing I can almost guarantee is that the scope and what we want to build is going to balloon as we get into it, right? There are a number of unknown unknowns as we start to build our products. So as we begin, we should probably start from a position that's pretty uncomfortable, right? And uncomfortable for design, product, and engineering to say, this probably isn't what we need to deliver, but we know it's going to grow as we start to peel back the layers of it. And if we can do that, if we can start small and we know that we have good momentum around our delivery, we should be able to plan and dig into those things and iterate fairly quickly. And the last thing I like on that note is, accounting for design and technical debt along the way, right? To, to give that the equal priority as you would net new functionality or, you know, features. So making sure that that is part of the culture as well. It's interesting. I mean, we've always talked about technical debt, but there's also design debt. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, especially at scale, right? As you you grow a different team, right? Design start to go in different directions. As customers use it, they provide feedback on the usability and the accessibility of it. You know, you accure debt there the same way you would as you might on the stance of the more people using your product, you have to start to think about what is the throughput of it, right? How is the infrastructure of that set up? Design's the same way, right? Um, and how we scale that with consistency. Yeah, absolutely. So two things you mentioned in some of your answers I want to go back and dig into. Yeah, you know, one's customer experience and one's feedback. Let's touch on customer experience first. Talk to me about customer experience, what the ideal customer experience is, how you try to build towards that. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about helping businesses meaningfully connect and engage with their customers. So if I were to like summarize that and say like the ideal customer experience would be one where I feel as I'm treated as if I'm that business's only customer, regardless if they have 10 or 10 million, right? You should really get down to that personal level of a customer experience. And that is one that is is connected experience, right? Where everything from the initial awareness to acquisition and conversion of a customer experience through onboarding support and turning that person into a low advocate feels as if it's one holistic, seamless connection across all those channels. You've probably had an experience where 
you know, you're going through the notions of buying a product and sales is quick, right? You, you email, you get a response back, you call them, you get a call back and then you convert and you're getting set up and you're like, Hey, you know what? Actually, I have a question of how to do this feature, this functionality. Well, if you're not met with the same promptness you got from sales as you are, you know, the customer success or service team, that experience starts to fracture, right? It starts to call into question a little bit of the trust of that organization, you know, how you want to work and connect with them. We want to help with that, right? Like as we think about the tools we build across customer experience automation is we really want to help automate the easy stuff in that nature. And we want to bring humans into what there is complex, right? Where the questions really resolve. So it's a blend of automation and human touch as we look at it, but really the ideal customer experience is going to be a connected one where you truly feel you're getting a personal experience. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about building to that. Like, how do you think through, how do you approach that? How do you get your team to to build to that? What metrics do you use to make sure that, like, that you're talking about, you know, how quickly you get a response? Like, do you track that? You know, talk to me about the details. Yeah, it's difficult. And like getting harder as we grow even. So we basically run a monthly process right now where we have some core KPIs throughout the org we track to. And they talk a lot about that customer experience, everything from, you know, what is the pipeline of leads we have all the way through what is the NPS? What is the CSTAT? Like, how do you really start to peel back the layers of that connected customer experience? And it's the one of awareness, right? Because that customer experience is evolving, right? As the team grows, as the product changes, you know, as we change our processes even, right? Like we might change how we route leads. We might change how we support customers. You know, it's having the right data and touch points around that to understand what's changing and taking a critical eye to it every month to say, hey, here's what changed. Let's put some commentary around that. Can we actually understand what we did to impact that positively or negatively? And really starting to understand where's that headed, right? What is the momentum we have? Are we trending well or not? And how does that look across the customer experience? So in terms of building to that, we've had a lot of different customers that we've dug into throughout the pandemic. Ones of which uh, a lot of businesses have had to pivot their entire customer experience. They may have been running more traditionally uh, a brick and mortar business, or they're doing uh, online classes or facilitation. One of the more inspiring parts of Active Campaign is seeing some of those stories in the last few months uh, where these businesses have been able to completely pivot into, you know, largely just being an online, very specific organization, you know, from taking online class or excuse me, in-person classes to online classes, being able to use our platform to, to dig in and operate with them and completely pivot their customer experience. And those stories, they, they balloon up like we've been seeing them and circulating them throughout the org. Vice versa, we've seen... You know, that would be from the small business side. You've come uh, from the enterprise side. Uh, a lot of folks have gotten cost conscious, right? They're really trying to batten down the hatches and make sure that they can weather the storm of the pandemic. And we've seen them in large migrate to active campaign from a stance of, we have a lot of the firepower that their existing tools might have, or they might have more firepower in those tools that they're not using to where they can, uh, you know, set up active campaign and accomplish the same level of a customer experience, albeit not be paying, you know, at the threshold they were previously. Awesome. So the other topic I want to talk about, or other thread I want to jump down, there's lots of topics I want to talk about, but uh, feedback, right? You talked about 130,000 customers. I'm sure you're getting a ton of feedback, things customers want, things they actually need. How do you manage that? How do you differentiate between, you know, things you should be building and things that maybe are, you know, that customers are asking for, but maybe they don't really want or don't really need? Do you have a framework for this? Yeah. We, more than any organization I've worked in, we have a surplus of customer feedback. 
130,000 voices in that conversation, right? And even with 130,000 customers, keep in mind, that could mean multiple accounts or folks using our product within that 130,000, right? So that number is an exponential of that. And we have a number of different channels. You know, MPS is, you know, a large one for us, but it's any cancellation feedback. It's our online communities. It's our ideas form on our website. It's the community forms on our website. It's the numerous marketplaces by which we have integrations and listings where we get feedback. It's G2, CapTerra, right? Like it's all over the place. And I think our CEO has done a great job instilling a practice of staying very close to that feedback himself, Jason, reviews our customer feedback every single day. So for myself, right, and and for our core leadership team, every single MPS survey that goes through, I get those results emailed to me. Every single cancellation, I get those results emailed to me. And I, it's a long morning to go through those, right, and see what those say. What we've done is, how do you break that down, right? How do you get those into the right teams? And there's been a few different practices we've, we've set up. We've built an entire, what we call our customer experience advocacy team that goes through all of that feedback and starts to categorize it to really understand, okay, what did that relate to? Was that about the usability of the platform? Was that about you know, a geography of language? Like, let's start to categorize all of that. And they build out a voice of the customer report for us to review. But they go further than that. They really help disseminate that feedback into the right ethos of the origin to say, hey, you know, here's the trends we're seeing on your product or your feature. You might want to dig in and hear the customers who said what, right? So that we can follow up and have conversations with them. And we don't stop there. Like that, that is like a way to start peeling back the layers of it. Even on the design side, like very specifically, we have a design MPS channel. So any MPS feedback that mentions, you know, let's say UX, UI, usability, intuitive, you know, difficult, certain keywords we have piped into a Slack channel where the entire design team is. And the designers do a great job of self-selecting and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to follow up with that customer, right? They mentioned the product I'm building, I'm working on, and they'll follow out, they'll directly reach out to those customers. And then, you know, within a threaded comment of Slack, also say, hey, here's the conversation I had here in my notes, right? And start to share those learnings back across the team. So we have a pretty healthy practice of how we hear those customers. Now, the other side of your question is like, how do you prioritize all that feedback, right? Like there's an avalanche of feedback coming in. What, what really, you know, do you use and where do you take it? And that's a difficult thing to do, right? Honestly, to, to learn and prioritize from it. With the customer experience advocacy team, we really start to get the strong signals, right? Of, hey, this is really something we need to address or dig into quickly. Or, hey, this might be easy to knock off because it doesn't seem like the weight of it's going to be too hard. An example of that would be, Q4, right? Like we're going into the holiday season, a lot of shopping. Last year, we had released a landing pages product. And, you know, one of the pieces of feedback was, how do I just, I need a buy button on a landing page, right? Like, how do I actually set up a buy button? And for us, it's like, hey, like, that makes complete sense. Like, that's actually really good feedback. And there is an opportunistic time to go do that right now, right? Like a buy button in Q4 means more than a buy button in Q1, right? Post holidays. So it was going back to those, you know, principles of of product development. All right, let's go start at the smallest level. What would make us uncomfortable to start with, right? It's like, what if we just used a buy button from one of our partners, be it PayPal or Stripe, right? Okay, we could probably just do that with HTML embed code, right? To drop on the page. It's starting to like peel back the layers of like, what's the easiest way to set that up? So the idea, the feedback from, hey, we would love a buy button on a landing page to actually being able to use that in the product was, I think, a number of weeks, to be honest with you, within Q4. So you're juggling what is most commonly heard versus what is opportunistic that we could tackle quickly. 
Yeah. And that's, that's a tough juggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. So you mentioned COVID in your story. How has that impacted some of your metrics, your data, your product KPIs? Yeah. You know, I, like most businesses, I think we were all like, we braced for impact, right? Like March were you know, we weren't really sure where things were going to go. What we did was, was double down on our existing customers, right? To say, hey, let's make sure that they can really set up and, and work with their customers. You know, we, we want to support them through this. And we saw a, a pretty few interesting things happen. One, you know, with our existing customers, they started adding more contacts into their systems, right? They started building out more automations. They started sending more campaigns to those customers they had because now more than ever, they're saying, I have to be in contact with these folks. I have to let them know how my business is pivoting, how it's changing, how we're moving things to be online. And we saw more activity and volume across our platform than honestly we've ever seen. You know, we, we have some seasonality spikes and we were blowing those out of the water back in March and April. So we really saw our existing customers double down on the platform, which proved you know, they were getting value from what we were offering to them. The second interesting thing we saw was new business started to grow. You know, in those times of downturns or recessions, you see a lot of new businesses started. And more now than ever is they're starting with that digital first footprint, which is something we can help them set up and get going on. So, you know, 2020, we onboarded over 40,000 customers, which is an incredible number uh, and some very significant growth through that. Wow, yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's been interesting to see those existing customers grow and new customers onboard and, you know, find that success as well. So I would say we're incredibly fortunate, you know, to be accelerating our growth through some of these times. Yeah, that's awesome growth. I mean, it was always interesting hearing, you know, talking to your CEO about the active campaign story and how things like, you know, grew kind of slowly and then all of a sudden just took off. Right. And you guys Uh just exploded as far as your growth. It's got to make a lot of these things so much more difficult, right? Because you're adjusting all of these plans. You're dealing things with like customers and how their business is being impacted by COVID. You're dealing with all this feedback and you're doing it while the company is growing at, at a dramatic rate. So huge challenge, huge kudos to you guys for pulling that off. No, thank you. I appreciate it. It's 18 years in the making, right? Like Active Campaign is not uh, a young company by any stretch. And I, I honest testament to that early team who really put the business through the paces of that product market fit, really like learn to understand who that customer is and what they needed and honestly approach it from a healthy mix. Like we're not tied into any one vertical or any one geography. You know, 55% of our business actually happens outside of North America. Our verticals, no vertical is greater than 15% of our, our general customer base. So there's a lot of time that goes into that. It actually makes that work, right? Yeah, um, let's, let's think, talk about building those teams. Like, talk to me about building teams, product teams in particular, what makes that successful team? And then how do you scale that? Like, you know, Active Campaign's a great story. They're kind of, you know, chugging along, learning, getting that product market fit. And then all of a sudden, boom, something goes off and, you know, they grow three or four X every six months, right? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it starts with the vision, right? Like you have to have a pretty tight and aligned vision so that all of the energy, all the efforts we're putting into this are going in that same direction, right? Like we want the momentum channeled uh, in terms of where we're seeing that growth. My goal is like to be able to walk around the company and ask folks why, right? Like what, what's going on? What are you working on? Why is that important? Right. And ideally that work is always getting tied back to the customer impact it's having, Right. And that impacts tied across the different teams. I'd say that's like, like the key part of it is that vision. Second to that is it's an entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like we talk about uh, operating as owners. You know, if I own this company, how would I run it? What would that look like? And 
in many scenarios that like you got to be fairly self-sufficient, right? The folks who do really well in active campaign, they come in and they're not they're not waiting on the direction. They're not highlighting problems. You know, they're saying there's an opportunity here. I'm going to help Stripe to solve it, right? I'm going to pull together the right people to dig into this. We're going to work on this together, right? Like they're not coming to work to occupy a desk and run the business. Like they're coming in knowing like we need to grow it. And they have that level of passion and persistence that pushes things forward. From our leadership team, like it's it's about then trusting the team, right? Knowing that you have the right vision. These folks have that entrepreneurial mindset. Trust them. Let's let go of our authority. Um, and, you know, let's work with them to, to set standards, to enable, to, to weed out, to prune, to really start to agree on the type of changes we want. But let the team run that. Let them really dictate where that needs to go, right? And if we do that well, then let's celebrate the work, right? Let's really, you know, recognize their work. Let's encourage them. Like, let's go a later deeper into the psychological safety of, you know, the type of organization we're building. I think those are kind of the core key things I'm always thinking about juggling. So it's the vision, the entrepreneurial mindset, trusting the team and learning to celebrate with them. Now, I'm curious, uh, as you're going through that, those characteristics, how you're building a successful team, how it's being driven down, are those characteristics you talked about instantiated in your core values at uh, Active Campaign? I mean, yeah. do they map pretty well? I'm, I don't know that they should. I don't know. Maybe they should. I'm Absolutely curious. should, right? Yeah. Uh, like the values are like how you behave. It's what you live by, right? That, yeah, that yeah. So defines... I'm assuming you have core values at Active Campaign. How close are Absolutely. you? How close are they to the things you just described? Yeah. I, I talk about trusting the team, right? The first core values start with trust, right? Like it, it, it is a direct impact to that. I talk about that entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like one of our values is make the customer a hero, right? It's like dig in with them, right? Really move forward with them and what they want to solve. Another value is iterate everything always, which is also backed up by that, right? We talk about creating wow. So that's having that aligned vision, understanding why, right? Like we want to deliver an incredible experience behind that. Another value we have is pursue growth with gratitude, right? And that, you know, is we're doing a lot of incredible work, Let's also celebrate that. Let's give back to the communities. Let's make sure that not only do our customers grow, but you know we are all growing in our careers as we grow the organization, the business, and that there's value and opportunity and all of that for us. But let's do that with gratitude, right? I could I can continue and name a few other of those values, but yeah, they they are directly related. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And part of the interesting thing I find is you know how the team was structured. You talked about that earlier. You know the importance of design. Your CEO coming from a design mentality design background, where should design have a seat at the table? Ooh, that, like, where should that seat be? What yeah. table should they be at? Uh, it's, I, I have a horrible answer for you, Eric. And that, like, it just depends, right? Like, I think the organizations are all a little bit different. And it kind of depends on what, what you're building and like how that org is run. Active campaign, like our, our core audience is small businesses and we're building some pretty difficult tooling for them, right? That like the, the weeds of this, there's a lot of power behind what we do. And in that scenario, like design's got to be at the forefront, right? It helps to help lead that change. We need to build things that are simple, but not simplistic, right? They have to be intuitive to use, but they have to have the firepower you want to actually run your business in the different ways you want to get into it. You need to have a consumerized level of experience there, right? All these different folks are using email, they're using social platforms, like they're attuned to a pretty clean, like clear interface. We have to provide that back to them, right? So design takes a far heavier seat at the table in terms of what we're delivering to them. If we were 
you know, uh, a BI tool or the like, right? Like we're probably more engineering oriented. If we were uh, building an algorithm, right? Like we're probably deeper into the data science of it. So design might play a lesser role in that in that scenario or type of organization, but it, it just depends, right? In terms of, I think what you're building. I am also incredibly biased and I would say design can influence everything, right? Everything around us is design, everything, right? There was intentionality and thought that went into you know, the shape of a can, uh, the handle of a scissor, like all that was designed. And I like to be a part of that. So uh, I would say like design could sit at largely any table, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes sense. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> it, the reason I asked, and I, I totally get that it, it matters, right? If you're an AP, a developer API company, you know, design might have less of that C-level role at the company than it might if you're you know, say Apple, right, where, you know, design is very important in the hardware and in a lot of different components of their business that they have. So I was just was curious to see your perspective on that. And I understand an active campaign, especially selling to a huge number of customers at a lower price point, it means that things need to be intuitive, that the design needs to be well thought out. And I think that almost always needs to be the case, but mm-hmm. I, I can see it as being more important at, at types of companies like you discussed. Yeah. Well, it can vary too, I think, based off the the season of a company too, right? Like early on design, super important active campaign. We have to make the tools, the products simple to use. As we've grown, as we've added more customers, we're adding customers with larger contact bases who are trying to do more actions within automations. You know, there's a moment in time where design while important might not be the most important because we really have to think about our infrastructure and the performance end of how what is our speed? What is the load times? Like, it doesn't matter really what we design. If, it, if it's not operational, it's not going to matter too much, right? So I think you see seasons of companies too where that can shift, right? I think you're seeing design seasons more often than not right now. Google, heavy engineering culture, right? But as you look at their material design patterns and where they're growing, that's changing a little bit, right? You're seeing far more of an influence from the design side inside that organization. And I think like, it's not fixed, right? It's not binary as if like it's design-led and it's going to stay that way or vice versa, right? You're going to have changes to that over time too. One of the things I wanted to jump back to, you know, you touched on earlier, tech ecosystems integrations. You guys have done a great job at that. That's obviously has a huge impact on customer experience. How have you seen it impact customer experience and how has that impacted the business model of ActiveCampaign? Yeah, this is an incredible question. One of my favorites. I've talked a little bit about customer experience automation and how that includes building automation into the entire customer lifecycle. So that very moment of awareness all the way through building loyal advocacies of customers. Now, a lot of automation platforms focus on marketing automation, and that might mean an autoresponder or a drip campaign. You might have sales automation platforms that help do lead scoring and routing. When we talk about customer experience automation, we talk about automation across that entire customer lifecycle, right? So it's not just the forefront of sales and marketing or pre-conversion, but it's it's that and how do you support someone as they move throughout the customer lifecycle. And one of our core beliefs is one business is not going to run on one platform, right? That every business should be able to use the platforms that are best for them, the tools that are best for them. And for us, that means integrations. That means, hey, how do we help all of those different tools come together, right? How do you get a lens and visibility into the customer experience across all of those different tools? And it's, it's changed a lot of the business model to think about that, right? Of 
how are we bringing those tools together so that the sales reps don't call on accounts that have outstanding issues and that the support reps can understand, hey, here are my highest value customers. I need to prioritize those versus someone who might be on a free trial, right? The visibility across those tools is something we think a lot about. And how do you not only orchestrate data from going one side to the other, but how do we enrich it? How do we make it more powerful as it comes through the system? And how do we build automation into tools that don't historically have it? And that, again, applies to the entire customer lifecycle. There's a lot that's changed in that. And even ProfitWell has a, uh, they've done a lot of research, but, you know, they've came out and said, like, customers with four plus integrations have basically 25 to 30% higher retention right? Like that, that number is holding true. The average business today is using, you know, the average small business has over a hundred SaaS applications they're using. Like we believe all of those tools should be able to work together. And as you drive more integrations, you can, you know, you start to think a bit deeper around the ecosystem of that. What is the marketplace for app store by which all of those could play in? And, you know, you can go deeper into how do you begin to monetize that? What does that start to become and how does that grow? I'll be honest in saying, I think we're in the early innings of, of what that will be for active campaign. We're more focused on how do we deliver that customer experience first, right? And that goes back to the ethos of the business of let's get the product market fit right and then think about how do we scale and grow. And I'd say right now we're thinking about how do we get that marketplace right and then how do we scale and begin to really grow upon it. If you look at it like the App Exchange by Salesforce, it's a $2 billion a year business, right? It's over 20% of their revenue. So you know there's opportunity there as you look at what that marketplace could become. First up, though, we got to nail the value piece of it. Uh, yeah, but so. their marketplace argues marketplace. You're really talking about automation. You're talking about getting things to work together, some kind of thread and workflow, right? That feels like, you know, it's moving from the Stone Age to the Bronze Age, right? There's a big difference between automating the interactions between pieces of uh, of workflows or products and a marketplace, right? Yeah, I, well, I, I take that a step further, to be honest with you. Like, um, it's not just about the automation components of it. You know, I, I think like if you think about automation, it's too easy to think about that as workflows, right? Of I want when this trigger happens, go take these actions, right? Go do these things. That I think has been the origins of automation to date. But I think as you think about layering in those integrations, you start to gather a lot more data. You start to get a more unified model of who a customer really is. And for us, it's about taking that data and start to say, okay, well, how do we bend that into a more personalized, a more predictive model that allows those automations to start to make some decisions to say, hey, let's not email Eric. Let's have Shay call him right? Because we can begin to predict that's the type of experience and the level of personalization you're going to want. Rather than saying- We're we're moving from from marketplace to automations to, what do you call that? An ecosystem is what I like is, is, I don't know, that's the right word, but that's like what I continually kind of equate it to. Yeah. I I mean, I get get what you're saying too, though, but you can see like, it's a big move up from a marketplace where now we're trying to understand like, piece together all the parts of a customer's touch point with the company, understand how that impacts the actions you should take, right? Yeah, you're correct. It's interesting. I mean, I think it's, I agree with you. It's the future. It's probably the future. It'll be interesting to see what we have to do to get there, right? But I mean, I I think it's a big step up from what, you know, the sales forces might be doing today, though they're probably touching on it with some of the stuff they've done with Einstein and other things. But it's very interesting to think about that, that, you know, Salesforce has a $2 billion marketplace. Imagine if that was 
not just automations on top of the different components of the marketplace, but a more holistic view and model that you can take actions on based upon, you know, your own learnings or the underlying data driving those learnings. Yeah. It's maturity too, right? Like a lot of platforms start as an integration platform as if, you know, the thought being um, we're going to use an integration and that those become, I'll say point to point solutions, right? When this happens, I want to create a calendar event. And the focus in that is, we're going to create efficiency and we're going to strengthen our product market fit to drive retention. That thought of, I know our customers are going to want to do this. So let's go ahead and build an integration that helps them do that. And, you know, that should help them be more retained. The problem is that that doesn't solve the visibility into the customer experience. And it doesn't inherently make the data used in that integration all that usable, right? And it becomes more commoditized. It's difficult and frequently or excuse me, infrequently monetized. I want to flip that, right? To say, it's not about point-to-point solutions around, you know, efficiency. You're talking about an automation layer with deep platform extensibility in the sense that as you build integrations, they open up new capabilities, right? Every app that's layered into active campaigns starts to add new channels, new platform capabilities, more data, each of those apps then begin to make one another more valuable, right? Pendo having an app begins to make the Calendly app more valuable and vice versa. All of those can begin to be stacked upon one another. The platform there has more tangible relations to what is that customer relationship? What is the experience being derived to them, right? You have visibility into it. And if the data is organized into a usable model, it makes all of that more richer, right? Allows that to be benefited and taken action on versus just being stored in a given area. And you have a lot of influence there, right? Across the entire customer experience. And I think as you do that well, monetization then starts to get layered into, hey, I have all these tools. Can I centralize my billing and pay one person? Or, you know, I want to pay for added value in certain aspects, right? I have maybe a point-to-point solution that's free, but if I want to go into that next layer, I can start to charge or play around with what would be more premium services there. But I think the heart of it, what you really got to look at is it's not point-to-point solutions around efficiency, right? It's really a, a deep layer of platform extensibility built around a unified data model by which all of those integrations can take action on it. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, this has been great. Uh, I'd like to wrap this up by asking you a little bit about yourself, right? Like, you awesome. know, as a guy who's had a lot of experience on different parts of the company, I mean, we didn't even touch on your your marketing, you know, running marketing. Um, yeah. It's probably interesting in and of itself, but, For you sure. know, as a guy with a strong design, aesthetic product person, done the engineering side, I'm curious to hear what your favorite product is. What's your favorite product? Oh, this might surprise you. Yeah, are you familiar with a product called Zwift? No. Zwift is, it, it's honestly, it's a video game. I love to bike. I love to, to cycle. And Zwift is basically a virtual reality environment where you can cycle. So, you know, in Chicago, our winters are very cold. Uh, you probably don't want to be, really, there's over a foot of snow outside, right? Like you're, you're not going to be biking much outside. So Zwift is a, a product where I hook my bike, like my, the back of my chain up to a gear and via Bluetooth, I pedal in these environments, right? These digital worlds, if you will. And it simulates a real world cycling experience. So Eric, if you and I are out there riding, right? And I ride behind you, well, it gets easier for me to pedal, right? The resistance through my gears gets easier. 
if we start to go uphill, it gets a lot harder, right? And it will dynamically change the resistance for me. We go downhill, it gets easier. I mean, they have nailed the mechanics of just the technology of how this works, to be honest with you. And they have put so many game mechanics into it of how do I beat my personal record from the last time I rode this course to how do I beat the others around me or my friends, you know, everything around it. And it's, it makes uh, something I love cycling uh, a lot more enjoyable in the winter when I'm trapped inside. Is not beautiful looking. It's, it's not the world's best interface or design, but the product itself is, is honestly incredible, like super innovative. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I mean, I, I always talked about, I, I have a Peloton myself. Uh, yeah. Love the Peloton, but I always thought it'd be cool to have more of that virtual experience. They definitely downplay kind of their scenic rides. Yeah. And there's no automatic adjustment of, you know, things like resistance even, right? Totally. So it'd be kind of cool doing that on a, on a scenic ride, like taking a, a course of the Tour de France, right? Or a, yep. a leg of the Tour de France and seeing how you'd actually do. That would be kind of, that would be pretty wild. And Zwift has that, right? Like every year they actually do the Tour de France where you can go out there and ride it in the stages and, you know, see how you compete. It's, um, it's, yeah, that was it's the word I was looking for stage. You know? Yeah. It, but um, it, it's like, it's about endurance cycling versus spin, right? Like it's a different type of workout, but very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is sitting crashing, I assume. So, <laughs> yep. well, that's, that's, that's cool. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check that one out. Final question for you. Three words to describe yourself. Yeah. Kind of where we started. I'd say the first word's builder, right? Like that is where I see myself more than a designer, an engineer, a marketer, or, you know, product manager, it's, it's, it's builder at the heart, right? If you asked our exec team uh, one word to describe me, I think they would all smile and then tell you Midwestern. One where it, it's about your integrity, right? It's it's your most prized possession. It's what you care about the most. And you you work incredibly hard, but you're humble in those efforts. So I'd say born and raised in the Midwest and very true to that. Where at? And then... I was born in uh, Lima, Ohio, a small town on uh, Northwest Ohio. Got it. Yeah. I spent a lot of time living in Pittsburgh, spent a lot of time in the Cleveland area. So yeah. nice. Awesome. Last one would be aware, you know, aware, self-awareness and you know, how I'm growing, how I'm learning, how the team's doing, where it's all headed, doing my best to stay balanced and you know, how we are setting those priorities and where we're going, but also you know, where do we need to change? Where do we need to iterate? Where do we need to find a little bit of calm within all of that? So I think awareness is is a big one for me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Shay. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. Thank you for having me.